you get a tax deduction for the fair market value of that stock that you donated, but you do not have to, obviously you haven't sold it, so you don't pay tax on that gain. So that gain is goes completely untaxed. Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success Podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 179 of APM Success. Happy New Year to everyone. I'm excited to be joined today by my friend, Jim Giese. Jim is a JD, CPA, part of the healthcare tax team at Whitfley in Chicago. And he's one of those experts whom I rely upon, also a friend of the show. Excited to have him here to talk about the Donor Advised Fund. So this is a new year. We're thinking about new opportunities, ways to keep taxes as low as possible, ways to get appreciated securities out of your estate. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're in luck because you're going to learn about it right now. Jim, welcome. Well, thank you, Justin. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Donor Advised Funds. This is obviously a a sort of a tactical consideration under the bigger umbrella of charitable giving and tax reduction for high income and high net worth families. So talk a little bit about what is a donor advised fund. Right. So a donor advised fund is a fund that's at a, I'll call it a brokerage house for lack of a better term, that you can make contributions, charitable contributions to these donor advised funds, qualified donor advised funds, and you get a tax deduction when you contribute that money to the fund. And then then what happens is you can direct, and we'll get into this in more detail later, but then you can direct distributions to your favorite charities. So the the money ultimately will go to your charities, but it's a way to, to make a donation to a charitable entity, if you will, that does not at that moment go to a what you would think of as a charity. So this is a tool that would be used for someone who is charitably inclined, and often they have appreciated securities, meaning they've got stocks or bonds, usually not bonds because bonds don't move that much, but either stock mutual funds, stock ETFs, or individual stocks that they bought at you know $10 and it's now at $30. And because of all of the gains, they want to remove those gains from their estate so they contribute to this donor advised fund as a first step towards getting that security to the ultimate end destination of a charity. So how does something like this compare to a private foundation? Well, it's it's really very similar to a private foundation. The you know, the, the general consensus with experts is that you need to have a million dollars that you're going to contribute to a private foundation in order for it to make sense. And and that's because it has its own tax returns. I mean, there used to be public notice requirements. Some states would require an audit of the organization. So there's a lot of cost related to having a private foundation. So unless you're going to put a million dollars or more into it, a donor advised fund is really a very good alternative to a private foundation. So you can almost think of them as somewhat the same same thing. Yeah, that's one of the, this is, you know, something when clients come to me and say like, hey, I want to do charity, like let's start a foundation. And they often don't realize, oh my gosh, I'm like creating another legal entity with another tax return and all this administrative 
and compliance burden associated with running your own private charity, essentially is what you're doing. And it takes a significant amount of net worth in order for that to, and it does make sense for some families, obviously, but for our average listener who's an accumulating physician or someone who's, you know, even has a lot of means, but unless you're ready to give a million dollars to charity like today, <laughs> then a donor advised fund is a good intermediate step to consider. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so, you know, when would you, what would be circumstances in which you might want to make a contribution to a donor advised fund? Uh, often, and I see it in a year that an individual taxpayer has had a really good year. Maybe they sold their business or they got a huge bonus or something really drove them into, into a higher tax bracket. Well, then you may want to capture that depreciation deduction in the current year where you're at a very high tax bracket. And perhaps in, in the ensuing years, you will not be in such a high tax bracket. So you can make five years worth, for instance, of what you believe to be your charitable contributions in this year where your income is really high and you'll get a big benefit from that deduction. And then in future years, you'll be able to satisfy you know, your desire to make contributions to charities and you've gotten a really big bang for your buck. Yeah, that's a great planning point. And another place where I've seen this useful, this you, I love that idea, the, the charitable batching, where you take those a, a bunch of years worth, say I'm giving $20,000 a year to charity and I do get a bunch of money and I want to continue the same level of giving, but I do get a big influx in one year. This is especially true if you're kind of right on the line between itemizing and taking the standard deduction, which is like $25,000 ish dollar threshold for a married filing jointly household. If you're right on that line, then you can give a hundred grand and subject to certain limitations and things, but give a hundred grand, take the big, you know, you itemize this year, you take the big offset of your income in that year. And then in following years, you give zero, 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 because you gave for those years in the single year. And in so doing, there can be a tax optimization that happens by keeping your income as low as you possibly can over, instead of just a one-year time frame, looking at a three or a five-year time frame, which over time that can have a really powerful effect. Right. Absolutely. And in fact, I've had clients that have used this strategy, you know, prior to 2017, when the rules changed for your state and local tax deductions, where now it's limited, I had clients that were in states that didn't have an income tax. So they would they would bulk up in the even years, they would pay two years worth of real estate taxes, make their charitable contributions for two years, get over the standard deduction, and then, and then in the next year, very little in those. And so then they took advantage of the standard deduction. Uh, so now with it being, as you mentioned, how high it is, and if you're right on the edge of it, maybe you don't have much mortgage interest deduction. So your itemized deductions are not really high. Perhaps it would make sense to, in the even years, for instance, you make a big contribution in the odd years you don't, and you use this donor advice fund, because then you've got the cash in, in that odd year, you can distribute to your church or your school or your hospital that you want to donate to. You can kind of satisfy your desire to make those annual contributions. Yeah, that's a great point. So as far as specific planning ideas, let me first make a disclaimer that nothing that we're talking about is specific advice for taxes or otherwise for your situation. So make sure you're talking to a qualified expert who can look at your tax return, your income and help you make the best decision based on your circumstances. But, you know, this is where one of the places I see it. I think you hit the nail on the head. If you're renting and if you're in a low or no property, low or no income tax state, you, you're you not going to have those natural credits towards the 
deduction from the mortgage interest and from the state and local taxes. So that is an ideal circumstance when you're renting in Texas, for example. You don't own a house. There's no property taxes. There's no state income taxes. So you're kind of starting at zero in terms of your deductions. So unless you're giving 25 or 30 grand or more, you're actually going to be itemizing anyway in many cases. And if you're making enough money to phase out of the student loan interest deduction, which most physicians, well, most listeners of this podcast do, then this is a, a good time to consider is batching gifts and property tax payments if you do own for you know tax optimization purposes. Is that worth considering? And using a donor advised fund can be a great mechanism for that. Yeah. And then and you had mentioned early on, you know, what should I use to contribute to this donor advice fund? Of course, you can always use cash, but a donor advice fund, just like any other charity, if you have appreciated stock, to the extent there is any anymore with the market, but if you have appreciated stock, that's a very good thing to use for any charitable contribution. And many organizations, this is not an easy thing for you to do. Your church may not, this may, may be problematic for them to handle a donation of stock. So you you donate that appreciated stock to the donor advised fund, and then you direct the donor advised fund to make a cash contribution out of that fund to your, in this case, in my example, your church or any qualified charitable organization. Yeah. This is one of the things from an operational standpoint that I've seen is really helpful in smoothing out the process of optimizing your giving. Because often these little, you know, two, three, five person, 501c3s, they don't have time to like open a brokerage account and solicit investment donations from big time. They're so busy like doing the work that they do that they're kind of more of a shoestring operation. And if that kind of operation is one that you want to support, it can be operationally onerous for them to try to position themselves to receive $40,000 of Tesla shares. One easy way to make everyone's life better and more simple is to just take those $40,000 of shares, put it into a donor advised fund, and then you actually cut a check from the donor advised fund. So you move the 40 grand into the account, you sell it, turn it into cash or invest it in something very conservative. And then you cut a check from the donor advised fund. So all the 501c3 has to do that 501 or the um, five person shoestring operation is they take the check, they cash it, and then they've got the money in their operating account. So charities like these two for obvious reasons. Right. And 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 I guess just to crystallize, what's the tax planning? The you get a tax deduction for the fair market value of that stock that you donated, but you do not have to. Obviously, you haven't sold it, so you don't pay tax on that gain. So that gain is goes completely untaxed. I mean, there used to be years ago an alternative minimum tax adjustment, but that that no longer is the case. So it's a it's a very good way. And then along those same lines, let's say you have stock that you have no idea what the cost basis is. Maybe a grandparent gave you this stock when you were very young or you inherited this stock and you don't know the date. So there's no way for you to find or very, very difficult to find the basis. Then that's a really good stock to use to make a donation. And then you just don't need to worry about frankly, the fight with the IRS, if you get audited as to what the cost basis of this stock was. And I've, I've seen uh, several clients use this strategy. And it was like, just it was just going to be so hard to figure it out. This way, I get the benefit of it, I'm going to do it anyway. And now I don't have to worry about the cost. 
Yeah. And you're especially going to make your tax preparer or financial advisor happy because <laughs> instead of them digging through that whole shoebox full of, you know, dividend distribution notices for that share of Coca-Cola that grandma gave you on your fourth birthday, have to do a bunch of math and then maybe send you an invoice for that. You can just gift the Coca-Cola. Yeah, that's definitely something to consider. So then we've been talking about the money going in and, and let's say you don't necessarily distribute that money out to charities right away. You, you leave it sit there and we'll talk in a minute about what those limitations are, but how does that money get invested in that fund? Yeah. So you have latitude in this and you know, you mentioned it's a, at a brokerage house. So I use Charles Schwab to house donor advised funds. I've used Fidelity. These are companies where you can also open a Roth IRA, for example, but you can open another. It's essentially an investment account, except it's titled as a donor advised fund. So when it receives the money, it is a completed gift in the eyes of the IRS for tax purposes. So you can't do anything with the contents other than distribute to a qualifying 501c3. But as far as the management of that account, it's actually pretty similar to a regular brokerage account. You can invest it. You can leave it in cash. Generally, for my clients, we're talking, we don't want the money to sit there for 30 years because we ultimately do want it to get to a charity. And so because of the short time horizon associated with it, we'll move the $50,000 of Tesla stock, get that $40,000 of gains out of the estate, non-taxably, we'll liquidate it in the donor advised fund. So now we have 50,000 in cash. And then what I often do is either leave it in cash and distribute it within 12 to 24 months, or we're going to buy something very conservative, a short duration bond ETF or a, a bullet share ETF or something that is going to be very stable. Because again, the point of this donor advised fund isn't to try to shoot the lights out with investment returns and do amazing. It's to give money to organizations that need and deserve it. So that's usually the investment strategy. Now, hypothetically, you could leave it invested in Tesla stock and hope your 10 that turned into 50 turns into 300 grand. But that's not really the point most of the time. <laughs> right, right. You know, and, and, you know, I'm not sure about this, but there may be some sort of a similar to a kind of a, the trustee's responsibility to invest it. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on the word here, but responsibly is what's coming to mind, but that's not the right term. But you certainly wouldn't want to use puts and calls or any really, really extravagant investment strategies in that fund. Yeah. I've never tested the limits of that rule. I don't know. What, <laughs> like the, the prudent man rule is one thing that exists in trusts. Maybe that's what you're referring to. But certainly best practice in general, and this is not specific advice for anyone out there, is to just do something boring, something stable, something that's going to be there in the next one to three years whenever you do go to gift this money. Okay. So now you've got the money in the fund took the deduction. Justin's got it invested in various things to meet what your requirements are. The IRS does require you to distribute. I, should, I say you, but it really is the fund as a whole, because now you're part of that whole Schwab donor advised fund every with everybody else, even though you have a separate fund. And there, there was abuse with these donor advised funds that money was not being distributed out of the funds to charity. And so the IRS came in and said, you know, you have a choice, Schwab and all the other places to distribute at least 5% of the fair market value of what's in your fund, which is comparable to the requirements for a private foundation. And if you don't, you know, there will be consequences. And so 
All of these funds have adopted this requirement that 5% of the fund be distributed to charity each year. You know, you, you will you will need to, to do that out of your fund each year. Now, what, what the fund will do as a whole is if they have not met their 5%, let's say, you know, a, a couple of people that have funds there have made zero donations or less than the 5%, then they are going to be, they being Schwab, are going to be required to make up that difference. They typically have a handful of charities that they've selected, and they so they will make contributions to to those charities. And where they typically typically will go is to those funds that have not made contributions out to charities for the year. So if you've met your five percent, they're not likely to hit your fund. They're going to hit others that haven't met it. And so, Justin, is that is that? your understanding of how it works on on your end? Yeah, so that's, I don't usually have visibility to the sort of the institutional level requirements. My clients, for my clients who contribute to donor advised funds, generally it is a short-term holding tank. So I, I've literally never run into somebody funding it and then not wanting to contribute within 12 months. One additional planning item I would mention here is it's good to give appreciated securities. That's like the the low-hanging fruit a stock that you bought that went up a lot. And if you're running a separately managed account where you're doing like a direct indexing strategy where you have many, many, many different stocks, you're essentially buying a bunch of lottery tickets. And I have clients that started with a an SMA this year, even in a down year where the market's down 20%, some of the stocks are up 50, 70, 100%. So we can cherry pick those, you know, of the 600 stocks we hold, we grab the 10 of them worth 10 grand that we only paid, you know, five grand for. We donate those, but it's important to note only long-term capital gains should be contributed. If you contribute short-term capital gains, the basis is the tax deduction and not the market value. Meaning if I bought Tesla stock on January 1st and on November 30th, it was worth, you know, I paid a thousand and then it was worth 5,000. And then I donated it on November 30th because I've held it for less than 365 days. I only get a tax deduction for the basis, which is a thousand. So I gave away 5,000 of stock. I only get a $1,000 deduction. That is obviously a huge missed opportunity. You should have just held it for another month to get to that long-term cap gain window or just sell it and keep the money. <laughs> but giving a short-term cap gain security is generally not advisable. So then, you know, some of the, how I've seen some of my clients use use these donor advised funds is I have a client that has young adult children. He wants them to develop a culture of philanthropy. And so what he does is he's, he's had some very good years and he's con contributed a considerable amount to his donor advised fund. And what he does is he has a meeting every year with his adult children and they get together and they select and each child gets to select a charity and it effectively they have to they have to promote their charity and and give the cause and why they should get the money but it's a way for them to talk about it and he believes as i said he's developing now he and his wife are developing a culture of philanthropy which within his family which is important for him so that was a really good use of it i i had another client that uh, created a donor advice fund. She was a retired teacher, and she had one of the charities that she was that she was contributing to each year were were immigrants that were working as household employees. And as a teacher, what she was doing, she was working with the charity then 
to help teach English and other skills so that the these folks were able there the purpose of the charity was to help certain groups of people. And so she actually jumped in and worked with, volunteered with the charity. Uh, and obviously given the fact she was giving them money that they very much welcomed, they would have welcomed her assistance without it. But so it was an opportunity to give money and give her services, which it was important, very important to her. It was very gratifying for her. Yeah. I love those two examples. And I think that when used best. Obviously, the the mechanics of how a donor advice fund works is one thing, but I do think that using it as a mechanism for creating a culture of generosity in your family, raising up your kids to not be spoiled brats, showing them that there's a little more to life than what's happening under your roof. And that's like the best possible scenario. So whenever, you know, I was actually talking to a client last week and they were just saying, you know, we, we feel like we're in a place we want to do precisely that. Our kids are getting old enough and we feel like we've we want to begin to shift our family awareness more to our community. I'm like so excited to equip them and help them to do that. And a donor advised fund is a perfect mechanism where get everybody around the kitchen table and say, okay, you know, each of you, you get to pick something and we're going to give 20% of the donor advised fund to the group that you like the best. And then we're also going to accompany that with a a couple hours of volunteering to see the money at work. I think that's a, and in my ongoing quest to understand how to raise kids that appreciate the value of a dollar, I think that is a great tool in the toolbox. Yeah, I agree. Anything else, Jim, as we're wrapping up here? You know, I think that's, I think that's all I've got. I've run out of ideas. Hopefully that gives people a, a pretty good feel for a donor advice fund, how it works, how it can benefit them and benefit others. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time, everybody. Hope you have a great 2023. I'm looking forward to another great year. Sounds good. Thank you, Justin. If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to apmsuccess.com, where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.